This podcast episode may contain language and depiction of suicide and eating disorders that some survivors or those in recovery may find upsetting. Please consider your triggers and well-being before listening to this episode. Hi, I'm Kara, and I'm here to change the conversations around mental health and eating disorders, bringing real-life stories of survivors, those in recovery, and my personal journey. It is estimated that one in five adults experience mental health illness. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. It is estimated that 8 million Americans have an eating disorder, 7 million women and 1 million men. Only one in 10 people with an eating disorder actually receive treatment. Eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. One person dies as a direct result of their eating disorder every 52 minutes, whether through medical complications or by suicide. This podcast will lead the way for having those hard conversations about mental health and eating disorders. This podcast will also focus on the healing properties of being in nature, which for me, completely changed my life. Thank you for joining me today on today's episode of The Journey Podcast. I am grateful to be here and having these difficult conversations around mental health and eating disorders with you. I'm a firm believer that people's own personal stories of mental health struggles and recovery are extremely important to talk about. So much of what we've learned as a society is that mental health is not something to be talked about openly. It's seen as weakness. How many of you still get a little shush from these about these topics if you're going from work or your family or your friends? So many of us have the same sort of story. And if there's one thing that I learned in my own recovery journey is that you're not alone in this. During my stay at Behavioral Hospital and in the eating disorder program, I finally felt that I was not alone. We all had similar stories and struggles, and to finally feel that connection created a whole different meaning to my life for me. Again, these personal stories are very important. So I'd like to introduce Victoria Martinez, who is a friend I met through my brother, and only up until recently did I hear about her own mental health journey. Victoria, thank you so much for joining me today and coming on to openly talk about your own mental health journey. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to start by talking about your most recent stay in Behavioral Residential Treatment Center, kind of what led up to this stay, what can you tell me about your stay, and then what happened as a result of this program? Sure. So I've struggled with mental health issues most of my life, and most recently, I would say over the last, uh, or the like six to nine months prior to my stay, which was in April, May of this year, um, I noticed my mental health declining. I noticed that I was isolating more. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't working. Um, I was struggling with school. I was struggling to do basic things like take care of myself. Um, and so I could feel this decline sort of building And what happened was everything kind of came to a head when I ended up spending about three or four days straight just in bed, not getting up, not eating, not showering, you know, just completely shutting down. And I had kind of been down that road before, so I I knew some of the warning signs. And luckily... um. I knew what to be on the lookout for 
Um, so at that time I was in therapy, I was taking medication, but I could tell it wasn't enough. So I did some research, um, looked at just some traditional, um, mental health hospitals, but didn't really feel like that was the right fit for me because I didn't feel I was a danger to myself. Mm. Um, so I didn't feel like I needed that level of care. And that's when I discovered residential treatment, which was really life-changing for me. Um, it was a 30-day program at a facility in Pasadena, California. And it was a house of just women. Uh, the majority of the time that I was there, there were just four of us, which was really nice because then you really got to know each other. Um, but it wasn't such a small group that you felt like you always had to like be on or, um, you know, like in group sessions, you didn't feel like you had to always be talking. Um, and the days there were really structured, which was something that was really missing from my life and something that I've come to realize I super need to be healthy. I need to have structure. I totally agree with that. I'm just like that. Um, that's when it's it's crazy when you're when you're in the hospital or in a program. It almost seems like they they break you back down to like you know like it's just it's just you. It's you're not trying to figure out your day. Like everything is just set up for you. Um, I also agree with that because I I also felt so much better having some sort of structure in my life. Um, so yeah. So it was you know. Up at 8 a.m. for breakfast, had to make your bed, which was something that I don't do at home still. (laughs) And it's It's like, it's such a simple thing and it takes like two seconds. But, um, you know, and then therapy groups until like 4.30 um, with breaks for lunch and dinner um, after the groups. um, And like a good variety of, of groups. This facility in particular focused their treatment on DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, which I didn't have a lot of exposure to. Um, Can you explain what that is a little bit? Sure. I'm still learning. Okay. (laughs) um, But I can give you my take on it. Um, DBT is about, I'm like, it's in the name behavior. Um, And... There's like three components to it, mindfulness, um, radical acceptance, and distress tolerance. Okay. So it's like this three-pronged approach to how do you deal with these issues that arise in your daily life. Um, And... Because I was there for 30 days, I got like a pretty comprehensive introductory overview, so much so that after my time in treatment at the facility, I sought out um, a a personal therapist that specializes in DBT because I really connected with it. Um, And so my stay in the facility was really good. Um, You know, I connected with people, like you were saying who had similar struggles. Um, And it's funny because even though this has been part of my life for so many years, I don't share it with that many people still. 
you know? Because it's like I said, it's still that like, there's still that perception that mental health is something we do not talk about openly. For sure. It's, it is. It's, it's, they, people see it as a weakness. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so my stay in the facility was really good and it was, it was really the reset that I needed, you know? Um, and of course then there were some like practical things that happened while I was there, like medication adjustments that were helpful, um, resources that I was made aware of that I didn't know I necessarily had access to, um, in terms of like my health insurance and, you know, the social worker who worked with us, uh, as a caseworker was really helpful in that regard. Um, but more than anything, it was about really taking time just for me and really focusing without distractions of work and school and family and friends and life, you know, cause it kind of like is a little pause on your real life, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. And then towards the end, it gets scary. Cause you realize you have to go back to real life. Um, but it was probably one of the best things I've ever done for myself. And it was really nice to discover that as a treatment option, because in my past, I always assumed that treatment was either something like weekly individual therapy or hospitalization, and that there was no in-between. And this was kind of an in-between where I was in a safe space, I was being sort of cared for, but I had more independence than I might have necessarily had in a mental health hospital program. Um, You know, like we did outings and um, we went on like nature walks and stuff like that. So it was just really good. That's great. That's something I didn't, I actually don't know about is that just for, you can be in a residential say just for, normal depression and anxiety. Obviously I went through an eating disorder program, so it's a little bit different, um, but it's that same kind of thing. The thing that <laughs> got me was when you said we were about to leave. That is so scary. That last week that I was in program, I kept, I was like, I kept asking my, my social worker. I kept asking the doctor. I'm like, are you sure I'm ready to go? Cause I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I was just so afraid to go back to real life. Cause I all, I didn't know what my life was going to be. I didn't have a job. I didn't have, I had nothing. Like I was just going to go back out to, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really scary to leave treatment. Um, and luckily part of my recent stay in residential, um, it was highly recommended that I do an outpatient program after my residential stay to continue the daily treatment. And so I did do an outpatient treatment for about two and a half months following my residential stay where I was going five days a week. And then I dropped down to like four and three. Um, But at a facility in Encino where Again, I was just having the opportunity to be in groups with people who were experiencing similar situations, 
be in community with those people, make connections with like-minded individuals and continue the work that I had started in residential. So it wasn't just a hard and fast, like, okay, get back to your regular life. You know, it was a little bit more of like an eased, like flow walk into the pool. Got it. Got it. Um, so I know that you started taking depression medication at a young age. Can you tell us how that happened? Sure. Um, I initially was only being treated for my depression by my primary care doctor, um, like through my teenage and even into my college years. Um, I struggled for some time before he wanted to put me on medication, but he really saw that I was struggling hard. And, you know, in his clinical opinion, he thought that a low dose of an antidepressant would be really helpful for me. And I, I kind of wonder sometimes if it was the right choice. I don't think it was necessarily wrong. I don't think it did any damage or had like negative repercussions, but I wonder if it wouldn't have been better to try other methods first, you know, because I wasn't in therapy. I wasn't talking to someone regularly. I didn't have that emotional outlet or that intellectual outlet. And so I, I kind of wish there had been a bigger push for some other therapeutic method prior to medication. Um, but you know, it definitely did provide some relief. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of medication for depression and anxiety because I've had good success. Um, I know it's not for everyone, but for me personally, it really helps. Um, and it just kind of makes it easier to do the other things like therapy and, you know, diet and exercise things that everyone knows have great health impacts in like all areas of your life. Um, so yeah, it was, and of course it was a decision that my parents were involved in because I was only 13, 14 Mm -hmm. years old. Um, and they, they trusted that this doctor had seen me since I was like five. So he really knew me and he, he knew my family, he knew my history. Um, and he could just tell that I wasn't, I wasn't doing well and I wasn't myself. So that's kind of how that got started. Got it. Got it. I, it's very similar. My, um, my mom actually brought me to her gynecologist Um, and that was the first time that somebody prescribed me medication was by her gynecologist. And I, I completely agree with the fact of, I wish I had the same thing too, where maybe there was therapies and, and, you know, let's, let's try to get some other modalities going. Um, but I feel like as a society, so much of what we know about mental health, um, is that, you know, people like to almost just put a bandaid on it. And medication seems to be the easiest thing to do that. Yeah. Um, and so that's one reason why I'm here trying to change that conversation because I I just feel that there's so many other 
avenues to go down besides just medication. I'm also a huge proponent of medication. Um, but like you said, it doesn't work for everybody. You know, some people just, it just doesn't work. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, so in preparing for today's conversation, I know you placed a lot of importance on finishing high school. Um, can you let the listeners know about that? Sure. Um, my time in high school was marked by really deep depression most of the time that I was there, most of the four years. Certainly my first two years, things started to improve my junior year and my senior year was actually pretty good, um, but it was certainly not without its periods of struggle. Um, my depression really manifested itself starting in eighth grade. And so that transition from eighth grade to high school where you have a group of friends and then you, for me, I had to kind of start over cause I was going to a new school. And I, of course there were girls from my elementary school that were going to the same high school, but they weren't ones that I had been close with, or they were ones that I had been close to at one point and we drifted apart. Mm-hmm. So there was that normal struggle of starting at a new school coupled with deep and intense bouts of depression. And my teenage years of depression were marked by lots of suicidal ideation, lots of low self-esteem and low self-worth. And so... Getting through high school seemed like an impossible achievement. Um, and I I truly believed many, many, many times that I would just never make it, that I would do something extreme and I just wouldn't be there to see the end of high school. And so luckily with the support of really a handful of fabulous teachers that I was able to confide in and trust Um, and the support of my family. You know, they've always been there for me. Um, I was able to, like I said, by my senior year, kind of find my niche and find the places that I fit in. Um, It's been brought to my attention that I was popular and I had no idea (laughs) Um, I still debate that with, with friends, (laughs) but they're like, no, no, people knew you. Um, so, you know, I was able to reach that achievement and it was truly one of my life's greatest achievements, even to this day, because I really thought I was just so much in despair the majority of my time in high school that I thought there's no way I can make it. You know, I really thought I'm going to be dead before I'm 18. And and I had kind of resigned myself to that. I was okay with it. Um, I made peace with it. And, you know, at the time, because my depression was so heavy so many times and so often, it like brought me a sense of relief that like, oh, maybe this will be over soon, if that makes sense. Um, 
So graduating high school was one of the hardest things that I had to achieve. Um, and one of the things I worked hardest on, you know, I wasn't an a, a straight A student, but I was involved. Um, and that became my saving grace in high school was that I was, you know, extracurricularly involved. I did theater in high school. I did student government. I did speech team. Um, and like I said, especially the teachers that I connected with kind of got me through. In fact, I even just had lunch the other day with a high school awesome. teacher that I hadn't seen for 20 years because she was one of the ones who I connected with and opened up to, and she was super supportive. Um, and it was, it was nice to have that connection and thank her in person as an adult and say, you know, you made an impact on my life. That's awesome. How does she, how does she respond to that? Um, she was really appreciative, you know, um, I bought her a margarita, um, and we enjoyed some lunch together and just kind of caught up about what had been going on over the years. And we've like kept in touch casually since I finished high school. So it's not like it was a a complete, like, where have you been for 20 years? (laughs) Um, but you know, she was just happy for me. Um, you know, happy to see that I'm doing well, that I made it, you know, um, that I'm here at 38. Uh, when at 16, I was like, nope, I'm checking out. Um, and she was just genuinely happy to reconnect and to reminisce. That's, that's great. I, um, um, it's very, um, great to be able to think almost like you're here. It's almost like your hero, you know, mm-hmm. like somebody that helped to save your life and keep mm-hmm. you going. Uh, but I just wanted to create space to let you know, um, that I applaud you for still Thank being you. here and still doing the journey. Cause I know, ex- I know how hard it is because I've dealt with also suicide ideation pretty much my entire life. Um, and it is one of the hardest things, uh, you know, that, to be like, I'm on the other side of this. I want to be here, you know, because yeah. it's 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 different. Um, so let's get into some dynamics of your life. Um, how have your personal relationships affected your mental health? Was your family and friends always there for you? Um, for the most part, my family has been there for me through this journey. Uh, my dad, especially. Um, I think he's kind of a little bit more of a sensitive soul. So he's always been really compassionate towards me. Um, I mean, and that quality in anyone just is a godsend. Um, I struggled in my teenage years with connecting with my mom on this issue. Um, I, I recall a time in high school when I had gone to the counselor to kind of 
get some guidance and share what was going on. And, you know, she told me, she was like, I'm going to have to inform your parents what you're telling me. Um, and I remember my mom kind of getting upset with me. And that was so hard to understand as a teenager, looking back on it as an adult, I can see that it was probably rooted in fear and worry for her daughter. But at the time, it was just so confusing and so crushingly disappointing. Um, As I've gotten older, my mom and I have grown much closer. I call her like two times a week now. Um, And I think she has a better understanding of my illness and my struggles because she's a lot more compassionate. Um, And I've always managed to find at least a few select friends who can really be there for me. You know, it's not everyone because not everyone understands this. Even when they're trying to be understanding and be compassionate and be there for you, it's a lot to process and it's a lot to comprehend. So I'm, I'm fortunate to still have some friends in my life from college who have gone down similar paths and can really relate to the struggles as we age, um, and as our lives grow and change. Um, so, and then I was supremely fortunate in finding a partner who understands because He's experienced some similar situations and thoughts and feelings and who is just the most supportive and loving person for me. You know, he he knows when to push me, you know, when to say, hey, get out of the house, you know, go do something. <laughs> and he knows when to say, yeah, go take a nap or, you know, have some ice cream you know, cuddle with the cat, stay in your pajamas. Um, you know, so I've gotten really fortunate. And then I have a brother who is a psychologist. So I am really lucky because he's got that (laughs) clinical understanding. So anytime I have more like clinical medical esque type questions, I can reach out to him and be like, Hey, what's this all about? You know? Um, and so, I, I've I've been really lucky and it always seems like in my times of deep struggle, someone will pop up that maybe they stay around for a really long time. Maybe it's a really short relationship or interaction, but someone will pop into my life that was meant to be there. That's I sim like similar ideas of that. Um, I also find it's a beautiful thing to find somebody like that, um, especially to end up being your husband. Um, I unfortunately have not had the best luck with my relationships in that aspect. Depression has my depression and anxiety has always kind of been the that wall between you know them not understanding it. Versus me trying to get them to understand it. Um, it just kind of has always not worked out, worked out the best. And I know that's a similar story for a lot of people. 
Um, so it's amazing that you found somebody like that because it's it's hard to find. They should make a mental health survivors dating app. Oh, that's a good idea. Business idea. Uh, mark that down. <laughs> um, so I know that in my own journey, nature has been a saving grace for me. What has been your like joy in life? My joy in life since I was about 12 years old has been and continues to be performing arts and acting. Um, that's what I studied in college. Um, and then I went on to a conservatory program where I met your brother. Um, and there was a period of time post college where I kind of stopped acting and being involved in theater and the arts. And I was so unhappy. And when I realized that that was the thing that I wasn't engaging with anymore and I started seeking it out again, my life improved dramatically. Um, so I would say, yeah, my joy is acting. Um, I love comedy. I love to make people laugh. Uh, it's like the biggest compliment to me is to be able to make someone laugh or smile. I try to do it every day, even if it's just my husband or my mom over the phone. Um, to, to give a little backstory, my brother and Victoria were in a um, in, improv group together, which I think they should get back together and start. Um, but that's one of the first times I met Victoria was through that group. So seeing them. And yeah. yes, they're funny. <laughs> we tried. Um, yeah. So my, yeah, really my, my joy and what I truly think is my purpose is to perform um, and I'm still following that passion. Um, it's a hard road. There's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of like self-motivation required, which when you struggle with mental health can be just like exceedingly difficult to be like, no, go do something that you won't see results for right away. Um, but that's the thing that brings me joy that, and I would say, um, the other thing that brings me joy is um, being an auntie. Yes, I was just going to say, I know there's two individuals in your life that you love that bring you so much joy to. So. Yeah, being an auntie is my favorite role. Um, I have several nieces and nephews uh, on both, you know, both my, my side of the family and my husband's side of the family. And nothing brings me greater joy than making one of them laugh or smile. That is, especially now they're getting older. So like my nephews are 15, so nothing's funny it's, and cool. It's, hard, it's getting harder. Yes. It is getting harder. <laughs> um, but that connection, that family link is just everything to me. Um, and they bring me so much happiness and they have since they came around. Um, you know, I, and fortunately I get to see most of them on a fairly regular basis. So I get that love in my life. Um, 
And now, of course, like they're getting older and they have cell phones, so I can text them funny memes and stuff like that. Um, and it's just, it's it's one of the best things that ever happened in my life was being an auntie. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so we'll switch gears just a little bit. Um, so we so often know our own warning signs. Um, what are your warning signs that you notice? The biggest one is isolation. Um, if I start canceling plans, making excuses to not go out and do things, um, the other big one for me is oversleeping. Mm. Um, all of a sudden, if I'm like taking naps every day, but not because I'm tired, uh, because for me in my depression, sleep is a way to escape. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a way to be like I don't have to deal with this. You shut it down. I yep. do, yeah, I just if I'm asleep, I don't have to think about it, and I don't have to feel it. So those are the big warning signs for me. Um, probably another one is that like my diet will start to slip. Like all of a sudden, I'm I'm only eating fast food or only eating mac and cheese. You know, just super yummy. Not I right. <laughs> it's it's delicious, but. It's a sign for me that I'm not taking care of myself. Um, definitely, though, like the canceling plans and staying in more are two of the biggest like red flags. Red flags for you. Got it. That's I mean, isolating is very much something I do as well. Um, so you stated that most of your life depression has been the main issue health wise. Um, and I know that with the pandemic, that changed. Um, it changed a lot of people's lives. Uh, but what specifically did happen to you during the pandemic? Um, right before the pandemic, like literally a month before, um, I was supposed to start a new part-time job. And all of a sudden, I found myself having crippling panic attacks, which I had never really experienced before. So that was just really scary because I in a lot of ways, I didn't understand what was happening. Um, so my anxiety really started becoming elevated as the pandemic progressed. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of shifted to be the primary um, issue that I struggle with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, which in in some ways isn't shocking. Both my mom and my sister have a history of um, dealing with anxiety issues. So, you know, it's probably a bit hereditary. Um, but it was it was so new that I was just like, I, I didn't know how to handle it. Um, and so luckily I, I had enough insight and experience with just mental health in general that I knew I needed to seek out help. And so I started seeing a therapist right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and the work that we did together was really helpful. Um, I noticed too, um, that a lot of my anxiety issues were centered around this perfectionist personality, you know, that nothing was ever good enough that I had to be, the best ever that there was no room for error or mistake. Um, and then, so as that related to holding down a job, 
um, it was really limiting and really in a lot of times the anxiety was debilitating, you know, like I started a couple of part-time jobs during the pandemic that then I had to leave quickly because my anxiety got the better of me, even though I was working with someone on it. Um, I just had, you know, what then my husband was like, I think you have a case of the yips, which is a sports terminology okay. for when you have basically like performance anxiety. Got it. Um, so, so yeah, my, my anxiety has really taken the focus of what I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And it's been interesting to work through that because my depression has been part of me for a long time, for a really long time. So then to have this new culprit come in and kind of shake things up, it was, it was really shocking in a lot of ways. And so I've worked really hard and I, I continue to work really hard to, um, manage my anxiety on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the therapy that I'm working through right now, that that's really our primary focus is how do I manage my anxieties? How do I keep them at a healthy level? Um, and so, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting to have that happen because it, it, it was just so unexpected. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the view for a lot of people all around the world that anxiety just finally kind of, you know, hit them. I've, I've dealt with anxiety pretty much my entire life and I know how crippling it is. Um, and how hard it is to just function with it. It is, it's unbelievable. Um, but I know that like one of the most important things that I learned from program were the tools that could help me when I was struggling. Um, and for me, those like were distraction techniques. So I've really gotten into crafting puzzles, cross, cross stitch, you know, by myself, fun things, um, journaling, I do box breathing and using my five senses. Um, what are some of the techniques that have worked for you? Um, one of the best techniques that I learned in residential for anxiety management was a grounding technique called five, four, three, two, one, where you use your five senses mm-hmm. to clue in to different things around the room. You know, five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can smell, two things. I know it ends with one thing you can taste. Oh, two yeah. things you can hear, yeah. one thing you can taste. And I actually used that grounding technique at an audition last week to calm my nerves. I was, and I did like a variant of it because I had a mask on, so I couldn't really smell anything, that kind of stuff. Um, But I just found it super helpful. And it was one that I had never encountered before. Um, And I just found really soothing. Um, So I still do that in my day-to-day life sometimes. And you mentioned box breathing. That is a go-to because you Mm -hmm. can do it so quickly anywhere and no one knows you're doing it. It's like your own little secret power. Um, So I do box breathing. That's especially helpful for me in moments of panic Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's, you know, really quick and easy. Um, it's something that my husband will do with me, which is really nice. Cause then it's like a reminder to do it. A lot of times he'll tell me like, why don't we do some box breathing when he notices that I'm getting elevated? Um, so, so yeah, those are, those are two of the techniques that I picked up in residential and prior to residential that I've found really helpful. Yeah, I agree. Those two are, I know that sometimes even in when I'm driving in my car and I am thinking about something, cause that tends to be when I think about things. Um, I even will do that in my car. I'm like, okay, I can see that I'm on the road. I can hear, you know, cars. It's, it's, uh, something I didn't learn really until I was in program, um, which is very interesting because I feel like I wish I would have learned that stuff a long time mm-hmm. ago. <laughs> but um, so as we kind of start wrapping up, um, I'd like to ask you if there's anything else that you'd like the listeners to know about. Um, I really think like my my purpose in joining you today was just to share with a larger audience, you know, a little bit about me, a little bit about my story and my journey so that people can see a, they're not alone and B these struggles happen to anyone and everyone, you know, um, it's not just a specific type of person that this kind of illness afflicts. It can be literally anyone in your life. And I think it's just important to share these stories. I I love that you have this platform because it is still somewhat taboo to talk about. You know, there are areas of my life where I very consciously choose not to share that I have mental health struggles. And I wish that we lived in a world where you didn't have to do that, mm-hmm. but we're not quite there yet. It's getting better, you know, because things like the journey podcast exist and it's reaching more and more people, but we're not there yet. Yep. No, that's, I mean, that's one hundred percent reason why I started this because I do want to change the conversation. I want it to. I want it to be a upfront conversation. Um, I know it's not the easiest thing to talk about, but the more that we talk about it, the more relaxed and normal it's going to be mm-hmm. um, to talk about it. So, um, Victoria, if someone would like to get a hold of you, where can they reach you? You can find me on Instagram at Victoria Yvonne Martinez. That's Yvonne with a Y. And uh, I'd welcome questions, stories, shout outs, virtual hugs for you, (laughs) from me, whatever you need. I'm here for you. Awesome. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on today's episode and being so open about your own personal mental health struggles. Thank you for having me. The Journey Podcast is brought to you by Dr. April's Hollywood Mobile Vet, Craft 9 Hair Design, and a list of community backers, which you will see in the show notes. This podcast is produced and edited by Mejia TV and can be found on all major podcast platforms. You can support this podcast by liking this episode and subscribing to it. You can also support me by rating this podcast and following me on social media at The Journey Podcast CY. 
Also, join me every week for a hike around the Los Angeles area. For more information on this episode, visit www.thejourneypodcastcy.com. Thank you for listening and supporting The Journey Podcast.